0: Good morning, my sweetheart church. It is good to be back with you. Set all my stuff up here. And it is good to have the choir back. It is good to have our new organist playing for us. That was wonderful. Our family had a wonderful summer vacation, and I want to thank you for the gift of it. Um, we did a variety of things, but we did something that was utterly unique to us. We spent seven days and nights on a boat in southeastern Alaska, uh, and that was, that was something fresh and new. We cruised many, many miles uh, together. We fished. I caught the first fish. I'd like you to take a look at uh, the first. There it was. <laughs> So first blood. Uh, we, we but we also caught some silvers. We caught some halibut. We crabbed. We pulled in about a hundred crab one day. Uh, we were uh, cruising through the iceberg-strewn, beautiful blue iceberg-strewn uh, uh, waters of the Lacanti Glacier. We licked on the We licked an iceberg. There it is. You, I thought you'd be more impressed with that, but the, uh, it was it was just a terrific time. We would. Uh, we, we, we heard whales spouting in the distance. We saw a mama orca and her baby uh, that were knifing their way through the waters. It was just sublime. And uh, the best part of it all is that we were utterly unplugged. Uh, we had no cell coverage, no Wi-Fi, no computers. When was the last time you spent seven days with your family with virtually off the radar? When was the last? Listen, I could not... In- dorset more because it was just such a wonderful time we we played vicious games of cribbage and, uh, and Pinochle, Pinochle for the tunes, by the way, is a blood sport, so I just want you to understand that before you ever choose to, to play with us. We would lounge together after magnificent meals that were cooked largely of the food that we had just caught that day. We would just sit around the table for a long time and talk and share with our, with our hosts. We sat on the bow of the boat as we cruised it seven knots through the waters, and we talked and prayed, and were silent, and it was just so utterly restorative to us. Uh, Rachel our daughter who has been we've been on a lot of family vacation together she said I think this was the best one ever and uh, and that's saying a lot so thank you for that you know over the course of my ministry in the early years um, I I think I felt like every time I returned from vacation we I came back to a crisis of some sort and uh, and so now to be able to come back and slip back into worship and to see things running so smoothly and this wonderful team making things happen around here and this great sweetheart church just going about their business, it is such a blessing to me. So thank you for the the gift that you give us of time away. Thank you for the opportunity to rest. It was really a blessing for us. One of the things that continued in... Dramatic pause. In our um, absence this summer was, uh, that was unabated was your generosity um, if you're new to us, and I hope that there are many who are here uh, to kick off this new year that are, have never been here before, we welcome you. You ought to know that last June we completed what we called our Beyond These Walls campaign. That was a campaign to raise $5 million to pay off the last of our debt and to free us, us up to, to give ourselves away to our community like we've never done before, and um, And and that was very it was very exciting. But now the hard work begins, right? Where we actually start to fulfill those pledges, fulfill those commitments. Well, while I was gone this summer, you were being very generous. And in fact, I'd like to show you a kind of a larger version of uh, of a a payment that we just sent to the Bank of the West um, only a few days ago. That well, would you like to see this? I just thought you might be interested to see the mortgage payment that we sent in. So, $500,000, that's, that's one-tenth. So we are one-tenth of the way there. What is even more exciting is since then, I've heard that we've received nearly half again that much. And so we are well on our way. So every time we do half a million bucks, I'm going to bring it. I'm going to show it to you. We're going to celebrate that. But I can't wait for the next one. It'll, make a mil- it'll be a million dollars knocked off of that debt, and God is going to do some great things with the money saved. So well done, Chapel Hill. Way to be generous. Thank you for that. Before we finish celebrating, there's something really important that we need to celebrate. This Wednesday, September 13th, will mark 30 years since a, a young boy almost <laughs> came to Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church to be its brand new senior pastor. And so, as a sign of that, we wanted to do something really special for you. Um, but we we're all flat broke from beyond these walls. <laughs> So we got you a big check, but, but it's more of a like, you know, commemorative check rather than, <laughs> so we, it's $1 for every year of ministry that you've, you've done here at <laughs> Chapel Hill. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Awesome. But, but I have some sad news. Actually, it, it cost us $50 to print it, so what, you, you owe us $20. You $20? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In there all you seriousness, um, it's, it is such a privilege to have served with you even just five years out of those 25. We scraped all our nickels and dimes together to give you and Cindy <laughs> a treat to go out and celebrate and dinner together. Thank you. Church, I don't know if you realize, but it is a gift to have someone who has served in the same church for 30 years and still has the passion And the calling to continue serving in that way. So we are all grateful for that. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. You guys, you're my sweetheart, church, and uh, it is an honor and a privilege. I couldn't do this without my beloved Cindy. She's sitting here, and I just want to have you say thank you to her for her support. First, The first lady of Chapel Hill, that is, she, she carries that role very well. Uh, so again, thank you, my beloved. It's, it's, fun to be, it's fun to be your pastor. So now begins the next 30 years of ministry, right? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to you know, live as long as Ray Payne does, but it, however long I live, I hope that I will be doing ministry uh, until the day I breathe my last. Don't you want to, to do the same thing? So, so here we go. Here we go. And uh, it is awfully fun to be able to do ministry with these crazy people uh, that, that you just had a chance to hear from. So thanks for the $20 I owe you. <laughs> okay, today we began a very exciting and somewhat daunting journey as we start on a sermon series on the, uh, the, the greatest uh, letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote the book of Romans the book of Romans you may not know this but the epistles that's the word for letters in the New Testament are arranged according to length the longest to the shortest not chronological or any other thing They're by length and for that reason Romans is the first one because it is by far the longest of of the letters but even if it weren't there for that reason it ought to be there for another it is his magnum opus it is his greatest theological work it is the gospel according to Paul it is his effort to, to pull together the complexities and the grandeur and the wonder of the Christian faith in a way that, that just makes sense and, and allows you to, to grapple with this in ways that you have never, ever seen it before. Um, so it's, uh, but I would warn you, it is not for the faint of heart. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, who were a much younger group of Christians, he wrote these words, he said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Well, if Romans is anything, it is solid food. It is a big ribeye steak. And I think you're ready. I think you're ready for this, beloved. So, but I cannot feed this to you with a little eyedropper with your mouths wide open in the nest. This is going to be you sharpening up your incisors and tearing out some chunks of well-cooked meat and, and digesting it together, which, of course, if you're a vegetarian, that just completely grossed you out. And, uh, and I'm sorry, but it is Paul's metaphor I was, uh, I was choosing to use. So. Um, this letter has had a greater impact on the history of the Christian church than any other letter that was ever written. Anyone ever heard of it? a guy named Augustine? Augustine? He, was, uh, he lived in the 4th century in uh, in northern part of Africa. Uh, Augustine was a profligate, um, promiscuous guy whose uh, life was changed when his eyes fell upon a section out of the book of Romans chapter 13. It was a turning point for him. He was utterly transformed And he became one of the greatest church fathers in the history of the Christian church, St. Augustine. More than a thousand years later, a German monk who happened to be in an Augustinian order, uh, he was grappling to please God. He was working so hard to to earn God's favor and to delight Him and to please Him uh, in order to to make it into heaven to be the person that God wanted him to be. He wrote these words: "If ever a monk got to heaven because by his monkery, it was I." Who was this? This? this yeah, Martin Luther. Martin Luther is this guy, and uh, and it was when he discovered the Book of Romans, particularly first. Uh, Romans 17, which we will be looking at next week, that his eyes were opened, his life was transformed, and he was introduced to a freedom that he had never known before. Uh, A a peer of his, a contemporary of his, named John Calvin, said that if you understand Romans, you understand the whole of the gospel. And by the way, if you... If you would like to study Luther and Calvin in the places where they lived and wrote, then come with me in June. We're going to go on a a study tour to Switzerland and Germany. I'd love to have you along. You can pick one of these up at the ministry fair, but it'll change the way you read uh, church history, I promise you. Now, John Wesley, a couple hundred years later, the founder of Methodism, his life was transformed when he studied Luther's writings on Roman. And then in the last century, probably the preeminent theologian of the 20th century, a guy named Karl Barth from Germany. Once again, it was his encounter with Roman brief, the, the book of Romans, that transformed him. So this this book, over, the, over time, has the power to transform you. And I, I want you to know that I'm pouring myself into the preparation of this. I am reading six commentaries because it is really a daunting task, and what I'm asking is that you pour yourself into this as well. This is not the sort of thing you're going to come along and like peel potatoes, just kind of soak it up and then walk out the door. If you are going to be, you'll be as transformed by this as you are willing to engage it, and so I challenge you to do it. You're going to find one of these journals. You pick one of these up. Use them for your daily devotions Memorize the texts that you find in there for the week And as a life group I would ask you to set aside whatever it is you're studying right now And for the year Would you join us on this epic journey Through Paul's greatest masterpiece I think it will change you I think it will change our life as a congregation And I really hope I think it will be fun I think it will be terrifying I think it will be all of those things So today we're going to dip our toe into the Roman waters And I want to look at just the first seven verses. I want you to listen to them uh, very carefully because it's pretty dense, but especially I want you to pay attention to the very first line, the very first line, okay? Here we go. This is Romans chapter one, verses one through seven. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who have been called to follow Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you take this holy, this sacred script and bring it alive in our hearts? May we, as we encounter your spirit through your word, may we be transformed as so many have before us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the first thing you notice about the salutation that I just recited for you? I'll just wait for a while. I got 30 years. (coughs) Did you notice how long it was? If you're familiar with the other writings of Paul, typically it'll be Paul and Timothy and to the saints at, and he launches right in. And yet this one is a long, long salutation, the longest one of all. And as a matter of fact, when you're reading this, that what I just recited is one sentence in the Greek. Of 90 words. So the question is, why is Paul so chatty? Why is he so chatty? And I think the reason is because they didn't know him. Paul did not found the church of Rome. They had heard of him, but they had never met him. He, did, he was not its, its founding pastor. How did the church get started in Rome so far away from Jerusalem? Well, there are some opinions, Uh, remember the story of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when there were visitors from all around the world. We are told specifically there were guests, there were residents of Rome who were present in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And Peter preached his great Pentecostal sermon. And you remember, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ and were baptized. Perhaps some of those were the Romans who returned and planted home churches back in their home city. We don't know. There's another tradition that says it was Peter who founded the church at Rome. We don't know. All we know is it wasn't Paul because he tells us so later on. We'll see that later on in our study. In fact, not only had he not founded it, he had never even visited there. He had never been there. So unlike the other letters that Paul could write, he couldn't say, Hey, this is Paul, your founding pastor. You've got some stuff you've got to clean up, and I've earned the right to tell you this. No, instead he has to start with uh, launching, launch out with his credentials, declare who he is and and why he has the right to to speak into their lives, to dare to speak into their lives. And, And so it's in that first sentence I really want to focus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He says three things about himself. First of all, he says, I am a slave. I am a sent and I'm set apart. Would you repeat those with me? Go. Slave, sent, and set apart. Let's break down, those down a little bit. First of all, Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus. The word in Greek is doulos. That's one of those Greek words you might have heard before. It's been, uh, it's been uh, stolen by our, our English culture to describe someone who helps with uh, the birth of a, of, a, of a child, a doulos. So he says, I'm a doulos. Doulos should be translated slave. You might find some texts that translate it servant or bond servant but really that is an attempt to to uh, soft pedal what is a very offensive term for us and it ought to be an offensive term for us Uh, particularly in these last months this whole issue of slavery has once again been very much on our mind hasn't it we're seeing confederate statues being torn down and buildings are being renamed and and monuments are being covered over and whatever you think of these actions, I think we would all be agreed. I hope that we are all agreed that what they point to is the darkest blot on the stain of uh, the American soul. And that is the blot of human slavery, of people who are being stolen from their, from their lands and brought to our, our shores and put to work uh, under whip and threat of death. It is really a dark, dark season. And the fact is that slavery was a brutal reality in the Roman times, too. For instance, in the Roman Empire, uh, in the city of Rome, the best estimates are that the population of the nearby environs of Rome were about 500,000 people. Well, the best estimate we have of that is that of those 500,000, 200,000 of them were slaves. Some suggest that there were even a majority of slaves in Rome at the time. So this was a, a big deal. So for Paul to start off out of the chute, in identifying himself as a doulos, as a slave, when he's trying to kind of get a foot in the door, is rather odd, actually. It's not really a very high credential for him to claim. Particularly because Paul was, in fact, a Roman citizen. Did you recall that? He had the coveted status. He wasn't just a freedman. He was a Roman citizen. And so to lead off with this is pretty remarkable. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. He goes on he says, I'm called to be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. That's a very churchy word, apostle. If you lived through Sunday school classes, you've heard it, but maybe don't realize what it means. It means to be a sent one, an emissary, one who is sent on behalf of. A, an apostle is a person who was specifically chosen and commissioned and sent out on behalf of the king or the emperor or the government. When Paul was making his way up to Damascus, he was intent on destroying that fledgling Christian church before it had really taken a breath. He was struck down on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus, who not only saved him, but called him to be an apostle, to, to I think, really to take his place among the twelve. You know, Judas had died, and they replaced him with a guy named Matthias, whom we never hear another thing about. I think God, God's idea to replace uh, Judas was Paul. And so Paul took his place as, as the 12th apostle, and, uh, and he, he was sent out uh, with this incredible uh, message, and frankly, it was a very subversive message. Here's the message. Nero, nor any of the other emperors who have ever lived or who ever will live, is not the supreme son of God. As they claimed to be and as they were worshipped to be. But as a matter of fact, there is only one who can claim the name Son of God. It is the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of our worship, of our adoration, of our obedience. That was a very subversive message. Paul was an apostle for King Jesus. So he was um, slave. He was sent. And then we come to the one I find most interesting. It says that he was set apart for the gospel set apart for the gospel uh, that those words actually i find this fascinating and i think it's more than just fascinating in a geeky pastor way i think you might be fascinated too the word for set apart is actually one greek word in one greek word and the word is aphorismanos, aphorismanos aphorismanos and it's from that word that we get a, a word that is very familiar to us if we've ever read the Gospels, because it is the word that describes Jesus' staunchest religious enemy. What is the little word that's hiding in there, the word that means set apart? Pharisee. 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 I told you you'd find it fascinating. This is the word from which we get the word for Pharisee, and it means literally the set-apart ones, the set-apart ones. The Pharisees were, as you well know, Jesus' staunchest enemies. They, they lived, uh, they, they were the object also of his harshest sermons. They were self-righteous and they were judgmental and uh, they considered anyone, including other Jews who did not abide by all the rules in the strict way that they did, they, we, they considered them to be spiritually unworthy, They spirit, uh, spiritually inadequate. It's a sad thing because actually the Pharisees, it wasn't always so. The Pharisees were a sect that was formed 200 years earlier when the people of Judea were under a different occupier. And at that time, there were people in leadership, and especially in uh, spiritual, religious leadership, who were sellouts. They were compromising with the, with the occupiers so that they could retain their power and their influence, especially over the temple. You know what that group was called? Sadducees. And the Pharisees rose up, These group of people said, listen, we cannot sell out in this way. We cannot compromise what we say, what we believe, uh, in order to get along with these occupiers. And so they rose up and formed a group called the Separated Ones. They were going to pull themselves out and they were going to live in honor and obedience to God Yahweh. So in the early days, the Pharisees were formed for a good reason. They were formed to to live holy lives in a culture of compromise. But what started as good intentions, as we know very well, it grew into a movement full of self-righteous hypocrites who looked down their nose at everyone and who, worst of all, ended up killing Jesus. These were the, the Pharisees. Now, do you remember the religious group to which Paul belonged? Pharisees! Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was the quintessential Pharisee. And he, he was one of those separated ones who was going to destroy this Christian cult in its infancy. But now Paul writes in his, Roman, in his letter to the Romans, he leads out with he says, I am still a Pharisee, but I am a different kind of a Pharisee. I have been set apart not to crush Christianity, not live in hypocrisy and, and self-righteousness. Rather, I've been set apart for the gospel of God. And I'm going to tell you about that. Set apart, Pharisee. Think for a moment about the contrast between those two words, apostle and Pharisee. The apostles are the ones that were sent out into the world. They were called to and commissioned to go right into a culture that was broken and, and antagonistic and, uh, and immoral with a, a transforming gospel, with a news and a person that would change all of that. So they were supposed to go right into the culture. On the other hand, Paul says, I am also set apart. And, and by that we understand unto me that I am called to live a life of holiness and obedience so that my message will be congruent with my life, so that my, my walk will match my talk. John once wrote that, it is, that we are called to be in the world but not of the world. And I think this is a description of this balancing act that Paul is trying to describe when he says, I'm both an apostle and I am a Pharisee for the gospel, a set-apart for the gospel pretty challenging, right? Here's something that I think you'll find even more challenging. Slave, sent, set apart. It's not just Paul's mission statement. It is our mission statement. It is our identity as well. If we claim to belong to Jesus, isn't this also what we are called to? Everyone who says that Jesus is our, our, our Lord, our Savior, all of these three things should be what we are about. We are, first of all, slaves, Slaves of the Lord Jesus, that means he owns everything, he has everything, he's in complete control of us. I love what Pastor Larry, and I listened to all the sermons from my colleagues this summer, they were great. I love what Pastor Larry had to say about that really, truly hideous um, bumper sticker. Remember the one I'm talking about? God is my co-pilot. It is such a load of rubbish. What that is saying is that I really am the one that's in control of my life. It is my hands are on the wheel of my life. Now, if something catastrophic happens, if, if Hurricane Irma hits, or the fires draw near to my house, well, then I might call God in for some relief work. But really, other than that, I'm in control, and I'm the captain of my fate. The truth is, I think a lot of us live exactly that way, even now. Our life Our control, our money, our time, our decisions, our relationships. We seldom relinquish the the control of our daily lives to the Lord. When we need God, we will call on God. But in the meantime, He can stay put right over there in the next seat while I run things just fine. Thank you. It doesn't work that way. There's no such thing as having Jesus as your Savior while holding back for yourself the lordship of your own life. It doesn't work that way. And there's nothing in scripture that suggests that. That is an absolute heresy. The Bible tells us it is all or nothing. It is only Jesus the Lord who becomes Jesus the Savior. I think that's what Paul means about in this text when he writes of us seeking the obedience of faith. That's an interesting set of words together. The, the obedience of faith, real faith, is obedient. The only terms under which we will experience the transformation that Jesus Christ can bring is utter surrender. He is the pilot. We aren't even the co-pilot. I'm not even sure we're passenger. We might be kind of cargo, but I, I don't know what it is, but we are not the pilot of our lives. He is the master, and we are the slave. He is a good master, but he's still the master. The question that you must ask yourself in this, I think as I grapple with it, is he indeed? Is Jesus Christ the master of your life. Do acknowledge and live it out as if he were the the master and you are his slave. We are slaves. We are also sent. Maybe not in the big A, apostle kind of way, but the little A, apostle way. We are all sent. I mean, isn't that what the Great Commission is all about? We are sent as ambassadors into a broken world with the transformational news of Jesus. At the same time, even though we're sent in the midst of it, We're not cloistered, we're not hiding out. Still, he says, we are set apart too. And it's not in an arrogant way to allow us to be really religious and good and to look down our noses. It's in a way that says, even as I move into this world as an ambassador for the gospel, I will live in a way that honors Christ. I will be consistent. I will not bring reproach upon the Lord. I will not cause people to point at me and say, He is such a hypocrite. He says one thing and he does another. We must also be set apart in our lives. This is our identity slaves of Jesus, holy, utterly belonging to Him, sent by Jesus, moving into the world with the mission and the message of the gospel, and yet set apart in such a way that people point to us and say there's something real about that life. It matches those words. Would you agree that that job description is kind of daunting? Come on, nod your heads at least. You would agree. I I will tell you, I find it daunting, and particularly this this season of my life. This summer, Cindy and I did one more thing that I haven't yet shared about, and that is that we bought a house in the harbor. This was a a dream that we've had for a long time. Um, We've wanted to live down. I mean, who wouldn't want to? But honestly, after we sold our house last year, we had really given up on the dream because we the houses were too expensive. They were too big. We were not willing to to get into a bidding war, chasing after something like this. And frankly, honestly, we were pretty content. And we had a Beyond These Walls pledge to pay off. So all of that taken together, we just kind of had washed that dream right out of our our heads. And then along comes this this house. It is the proverbial um, worst house in a nice neighborhood. (laughs) It's a 1967 split level that has not been touched in 50 years. I just pulled out all of the avocado wool carpeting. Cindy wanted to keep some in the, in the master bedroom, but I said, no, no, it's all, it's all gone. We still have the copper tone fixtures uh, in, the, in the kitchen. Remember those? It's awesome. They're just awesome. But we're going to make a few changes. Anyway, we grabbed it when we could. I mean, this, this was exactly what we had dreamed of. The next morning, literally, I woke up with some sweat on me and a nightmare, and I said to Cindy, what have we done? What have we, and here's the reason, I said, we are living in a neighborhood. I have never lived in a neighborhood. I don't know how to be a neighbor. And my uh, dear sensitive wife said, you've been preaching on Beyond These Walls for the last six months. This is a chance to put your money where your mouth is. She said, this is our Beyond These Walls moment. And so we've begun. We're remodeling it. We're not going to move in until we're done with most of that. But I can tell it's going to be exciting. I'm trying to meet my neighbors. It's also going to be a little challenging. First of all, I am am a little chagrined to discover how many on that road already know who I am. I... (laughs) And I feel like I already kind of live in a fishbowl. Do you know what I mean? And beyond that, although we've been delighted by every neighbor we have met, it is also clear, as we've got to know them, that there are some who do not believe in the same way that we believe. Not even close, in fact, some of them. Um, they, They know me, they know my conservative religious convictions, and I think they probably view those with some suspicion. And maybe even disdain. So... I get to figure out how to be a neighbor for the first time, and I'm faced with the challenge of doing that, of loving these people that God has surrounded me with, of, uh, sometimes in very, uh, very different perspectives on life, in a way that Jesus would love them. How can I serve them and care for them so as to be a great ambassador for the Lord Jesus in that neighborhood community? I don't know, but I'll work on it, and I'll probably be reporting throughout the months on how I'm doing I have a phone app on on my phone uh, that talks to me when I'm driving. I did this before it was illegal, so I'm ahead of the curve on this one. The phone will uh, talk to me and it says, um, you have a phone call from John Smith. Answer or ignore. Well, Cindy was riding with me in the car one day and I I think she accidentally uh, dialed me. And it said, you have a call from Cindy Toon. Answer or ignore. And she hated that. She said, I don't want you to get a call from Cindy Toon, I want you to get a call from your sweetheart. So she got into my phone and she changed all of the occurrences of Cindy Toon to your sweetheart. And then she called it to test it. You have a call, the first one came to you, you have a call from your. (laughs) Answer or ignore. So she went back in and she she put in your underscore sweetheart and she dialed it again. You have a call from your underscore sweetheart answer or ignore. So she went back in and she smushed it all up into one word, your sweetheart. She called it again, you have a call from your sweetheart. Answer or ignore. The answer would be, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Three times the word called appeared in the text that we just studied. The first one, Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle. Then later on, we, we are called to belong to Jesus. We are called to be saints. Called, called, called. This is, this is the Lord speaking to you. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to speak through our journey, this journey through this m- monumental uh, book called Romans. And we are going to hear the Spirit saying, you have a call from your sweetheart. You have a call from the God who is described in here as, as loving you and calling you to be disciples. You have a call from your heavenly sweetheart. Answer or ignore? Wow, I hope our response will be answer. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we begin a a new year of ministry, a new year of life together, and I pray for every person here. For those who do not yet know you, who would have to say I am the master of my life. I don't know who this Jesus is. I pray that you would begin to stir them to realize that they cannot possibly face life, much less death and eternity without you. I pray each of us will be more aware of the fact that you are indeed our master, our Lord, and we are called to obedience in our faith. I, I pray, Lord, that we will have the courage to be sent out as we've never done before. For those of us who have never said a word about Jesus to anyone, I pray that this would change for us. We would have the courage to do so. And I pray, God, for those of us who are not living lives that are, that are in, 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 enmeshed with the way that we claim to believe, I pray, God, you would make that congruous, that we would live lives of integrity as we are set apart in holiness even as we love and live in this world. Only your Holy Spirit can do this, Lord. The spirit of holiness we heard described today, only your spirit can do that. And so we beg you, we pray, use your word, use these studies, and by your spirit would you make us the followers of Christ who know that they are slaves sent and set apart for holiness. For we ask these things in the name, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.